Man, it is really good to see y'all. If you're a guest, thanks for coming today. I'm David. I'm the pastor. You're always welcome to be a part of our church, whatever we got going on. We got some exciting things. In the service, we have a bunch of announcements to what's going on. In a couple of weeks, a big thing. Some of y'all have expressed desire to be involved in some of our mission projects we have going on, our partnerships. We have a, uh, just a two-day, one-night uh, mission project that's going on in two weeks uh, from this weekend, the 13th and 14th, we have a partnership with the plants uh, in Tucson. They haven't even had the first worship service yet. Already had like 40, 50 people coming. Uh, a couple of uh, Josh Quayar, our next gen assimilation pastors, taking some adults. If you want to go to that, pay attention to the announcement video later on. Many times in my, my ministry and my career, I've heard people say, you know, all religions are the same. And I've heard that. It, it, that's an American thing. And it's, it displays one of two things either extremely ignorant and lazy to say that, or you're just absolutely arrogant, and you're just a pompous windbag, because what you don't realize is how important people's faith is to them. Even people who have a different religious conviction than I do, listen, and I think they're wrong. I understand it's important to them. It matters to them. And when I'm dealing with them, and I want to help them come to faith, I want to connect with them at that importance. But as a follower of Jesus, I know they're not all the same, because Christianity is so unique, because it focuses on a person who that person is and what that person did and that person is Jesus. And we're in a series this month, ended up this Sunday, called The Authentic Jesus. We need to know who Jesus really is. And, and, and as we've seen so far in the series, Jesus did what no one else could do. He, he forgave sin as only God can do. And then to back it up, he healed a man who was paralyzed. And only God can do that. And we saw that the accounts of the life of Jesus that we see in the Gospels, particularly we looked at Luke, give us an accurate portrayal of who Jesus is and what he did. A couple of weeks ago, we, we saw that as people in our culture think of the resurrection as just a myth, that from the very beginning of the Christian movement, Paul says that the resurrection was an essential part of our faith, that it was built, and we preached the resurrection. And Paul said, in, in, in the middle of the first century, in 55 AD, he said there were hundreds of people who saw Jesus alive. And they can vouch, and they're still alive, that he really did rise from the dead in the last week. And we looked at the idea of having our own Jesus, that we can design Jesus to be whatever he wants to be. Paul sternly said that the view of Jesus presented in the gospel is the only acceptable view. And today, as we conclude this series, we come to that concept that I've heard so many times, all roads lead to God. And we're going to be in the book of Colossians in just a few moments. But I want to make this statement that I've made to you before that kind of sums up this entire series. And the statement is this. There is only one way to God, his way. And his way is Jesus. There's only one way to God, folks. It's the way God intended it for it to be. And for him, it's Jesus. And so as we come to Colossians, I'm going to break it down into three sections. And I'm going to begin uh, with verse 8. And here you see a warning to the follower of Christ. Do not be taken captive. Do not be taken captive. Now, the book of Colossians was written by Paul probably uh, around uh, 61, 62 AD. He is in prison in Rome. The first Roman imprisonment is the one we see at the end of the book of Acts. He wrote numerous letters. We have four of them. He wrote more than that. We know he wrote one that we don't have to the church at Laodicea. And he wrote uh, a letter we call Philippians to the church in Europe. And then he wrote three letters, two to a church and one really to an individual in Asia Minor, Turkey. He wrote Ephesians which was an extremely important church in the life of the New Testament. And, and he wrote Colossians, where we are today. Now, Paul did not start the church at Colossae or Colossae, depending on how people pronounce it, 
uh, in his third missionary journey, while he was at Ephesus in about 55 AD, uh, Epaphras went over to Lycus Valley and started this little church there. But it was kind of a Pauline church because Epaphras was one of his guys, you know. And, and so Paul had, had, had a great connection to that church. And like, and like what happens so often, almost every time, you know, here, here are these group of believers. Most of them came out of a pagan Gentile background. And immediately when they come to Christ, and once the, the guy who founded the church left, you had all the silent teaching, false teaching comes in. Sometimes there's just problems dealing with the culture they were in, in. like the pagan culture. There's always going to be problems dealing with that. And so what we, ha- we have in Colossians, about five, six, seven years after it was started, it's what we call the, the Colossian controversy or problem. And here's the thing. In the book of Colossians, Paul never actually states what the problem is. And a lot of times when you read the letter of Paul, we, we know what the problem is. I mean, in, in Galatians last week, we knew exactly what the problem is. People were coming from Jerusalem saying, you've got to be Jewish in order to be Christian. I mean, there was a huge problem. We knew what it was. In Co- Corinthians, you see all sorts of, Paul lists several problems. And so there's, there's speculation about exactly what the problem is. Not, not that it's all that important that we know exactly what it is, but we have the solution either way, which is some phenomenal teaching by Paul. But it seems best to understand that the problem was, that, was some type of like Jewish mysticism came into this church. It was predominantly made of Gentiles. And mysticism is this experience, kind of, you know, existential view of life, this experience of things, your experiences of what matter. And it was mixed with a little bit of Jewish legalism. These were probably Jews. Maybe they were Christians. Maybe not. Who knows? It kind of brought in. And mysticism is a part of every religious tradition. All religions have mystics. You know, and there's a little bit of mysticism. It's okay. You know, a little bit of that, that experience. Sometimes you've had that experience in life that's just you can't explain, and that's okay. But this had kind of crept in. It, it involved two primary things. One <clears throat> was the worship of spiritual beings or angels, we'll say, but the worship of some sort of spiritual beings. And the second was a type of legalism, not like we saw last week in Galatians, but all systems, and even mysticism as a system, has things you've got to do. And so Paul addresses it. And we see, and, and he it deals with it a lot in, in this book, and we got one little section of it. And beginning with verse 8, here's what Paul says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so he starts off with the command, see to it. Uh, parents, especially moms, are lost sometimes say to the kids, hey, listen up, pay attention, look this way. Talking to all of you, by the way, at this second. Pay attention. It's a, it's a command. Listen up to what I have to say, Paul. So I need to get your attention on this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive, imprisons you. Now, one of the great things about Christianity is it sets us free. It sets us free from the power of sin. And most of those believers came from a pagan background. And paganism is an unbelievably enslaving religion. And people have their places and their ranks. I mean, I mean one of the things that Christianity did is it just said, Every person has value. Whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. You have equal access to God. You Jew or Gentile, a slave or a freeman, you all have equal access to God. And in Christ, you're liberated. And he says, you're going back to being a captive to sin. You've been liberated from sin and works, and you're going back to that. Don't be taken captive, he says, through philosophy and empty deception. And so what you have here, and the word philosophy means a lover of wisdom. It's just like our philosophy back then, you know, Greek philosophy was behind all this, basically. And we know about Greek philosophy in our world. If you've studied philosophy, you always go back to the Greeks. 
it's, the, it's this appreciation of ideas and thoughts, and, and most of the time they're systematic, they're logical, there's a way of thinking. Paul dealt with it in Acts 17 in Athens. He says this philosophy and empty deception, they're connected. The word empty means to be without form or void. You're being deceived by these people. They're promising you something that has no substance. It's all sizzle. There's no content to it. And it's a deliberate uh, deception through this philosophy. You're being taken captive, he says. And he says it's according to the tradition of men and elementary principles of the world rather than Christ. It's not Christian. It's by human tradition. Now, traditions are not all bad. We have traditions as Christians we like. They're tradition, traditions connected to Jesus. Christmas is a, a tradition. We celebrate Christmas big. Here at First Baptist, we have some traditions that go on at Christmas that we're going to carry out. They're good things. You know, it's already Christmas, really, you know. We go in the, it's, it's, today is Halloween. I went yesterday to get some more Halloween candy. They're out. Everything's Christmas. I can't give away Christmas candy at Halloween. And you may say, well, why, why did you run a Halloween candy? You should have thought ahead. We had a bunch at one time. It disappeared. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't know how. Nestle's Crunch is gone. Hershey's Chocolate gone. What happened? We, 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 we love, we, we, we tradition at Christmas, you know, we, we, we celebrate Jesus and all that. And, and you know, ha Halloween's not something we really celebrate. I get that. And tonight's, you know, trick-or-treating. And, and, and uh, you know, our neighborhood gets flooded with trick-or-treaters. You know, it's a scary thing, and then the Cowboys are playing tonight, maybe without that Prescott, that's scary. <laughs> and you see all the kids in their costumes. We got, we got them here. It's okay, they're wearing costumes. A lot of them are dressed as princesses. I try to be nice, say hello to the different princesses. Hello, Belle. Hello, you know, uh, Rapunzel. I said hello to Elsa. The kids said, Cinderella. It's like that. <laughs> like she'd been smoking for 20 years. I said, Cinderella. I'm like, grumpy Cinderella. I saw a Minnie Mouse, cute little kid Minnie Mouse all grumpy and irritable. Her mother says she's having a bad day. And I'm thinking, well, man, at the prices you and Mickey charge, you ought to be happy all the time. You know? <laughs> Life has lots of traditions. These traditions were human traditions. Nothing to do with Jesus. And then the elementary principles of the world. This is a kind of a complicated process. It's very philosophical to their time. And it's hard for us to fully relate and understand this just at face value. But in their understanding of life, there were the four basic elements. Greek philosophy, Greek religion had four basic elements. Earth, fire, water, wind. And they kind of ruled the world. And within that system of ruling the world and how they governed the nature, they believed that there were lesser deities or elements that kind of controlled them. And uh, sometimes they would then worship them for control of life. And so elementary principles are the things that, that work logically, A, B, C, D, in the control of life, and they attached it to beings, and so they would worship these beings. And, and angels, demons, whatever you want to call them, they worship them. It's not the point. And so what he's saying is, you have been taken captive by this philosophy that deceives you into thinking somehow you can worship these different celestial or spiritual beings, and it's just emptiness. There's nothing to that rather than to cheat. To Jesus. There are so many different ways people try to explain God or come to God. And we need to understand at some point they all just fall short. They're not the same. It's not all the same. These aren't all the same as Jesus. I mean, in our world, we hear people say, especially in America, that all religions are the same. That's because as Americans, we get a sanitized version of other religions. You know that, right? When Islam or Hinduism, they're brutal religions. When they come to America, they clean up their act. They have to because our Judeo-Christian values dictate certain things that are acceptable. For instance, in Islam, 
true Islam, you go to a truly Islamic country, if a woman has an affair or commits adultery, that woman is executed, killed, or can be. Well, that ain't going to fly here, so we don't see that. Or in Hinduism, it's a brutal system based on karma and reincarnation. By the way, karma just isn't, oh, everything works out in the end. Karma is a brutal, it is a sadistic, cruel view of life that condemns people to reincarnated life after life after life. And most people in the world of Hinduism are poor, dirt poor. And it's believed that they're that way because of the sins in the previous life. And you leave them poor and squalor and uneducated and suffering. And it wasn't until Christianity came to the Hindu world and introduced a love for people that they began to even think about caring for the lowest system, the caste system. That version of Hinduism doesn't make it here. You know why? Because it would never be accepted. Because all religions aren't the same. And people in Christianity today, taken captive by so many philosophies that exist even within the churches. You've got relativism, which I've talked about a lot, which says all religions are always to God. The same syncretism says you can borrow whatever you want from any religion, it's okay. You've got existentialism, which is this idea of, of experiences that are subjective. Your experience is your reality. You've got nihilism, which is saying that life has no ultimate value and purpose. And you've got atheism, which says there is no God. And atheism spends an exorbitant amount of time proving a deity doesn't exist in all of them take you captive because they deceive you and all of them are making headroads into the churches of America. We deceive ourselves when we try to come to God anyway but through Christ. You are deceiving yourself with emptiness when you try to come to God anyway but through Christ. So you have the warning. The second thing I want you to see is the reason for the warning. It has to do with the nature and the work of Jesus. Who Jesus is and what he did matters. Verse 9 says this. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In him, that is Jesus, in Christ the fullness, the completeness, the absolute maximum amount of deity. And the idea of deity isn't just some God, but deity means the principle of God, all that is God, the nature of God. So whoever God is, whatever God is, it dwells, it says, in bodily form. In the bodily form is Jesus. Jesus, when he was here, and continues now, to be absolutely God, the flesh version of God, now in his resurrected body, but the flesh version of God. Most religions had ideas and concepts at the time that the gods would might come and appear as humans. But Christianity teaches that God became human. That's what Matthew and Luke talk about. We celebrated Christmas. Sean says in the beginning of his gospel, talking about Jesus as the word, says in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word that is Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word that is Jesus was God. And verse 14 says, the word that is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. We beheld God, God in the flesh. I had a youth minister in, in uh, Bridgeport. I hated it when he said it this way, but it made sense. He said, Jesus was God in a bod. And I'm like, oh, please don't put that on a t-shirt. But he's correct. Jesus is God in the flesh. We celebrate the incarnation, by the way, 
at Christmas time, don't we? And that's why it's okay that, that we have a loss of Christmas. It's okay that Christmas starts now. What's wrong? What in the world is wrong with celebrating the incarnation of Jesus before Halloween? Or you, don't be one of those people that says, we got to celebrate Thanksgiving first. No, we don't. You should celebrate Thanksgiving every day. If you only thank God once a year, fooling on you. Here's what you do. Celebrate the incarnation every year. Thank God for that. You got it covered. You give away some candy and you're in good shape. You know what I mean? That's the incarnation. The fullness. And then in verse 10, I got to get going, man. I can run behind. He says, in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Just as he is the fullness of God, you have been made complete. Same concept. You are full in him. That is, Jesus has made you full. Why? He rules over everything. Whatever rule, whatever authority exists in the spirit world, in the real rule. He rules over all of it. Satan doesn't rule over the world. And Jesus rules over the world. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He has always been that way and always will be. He is over everything. In him you've been made complete. Verse 11 says this. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there is some understanding then of the Jewishness of this because of circumcision. Now this is not like last week where we looked at the Galatians and, they, and you know, the, the Judaizers said, if you're not circumcised and follow the Jewish law, you're not a Christian. It's not that. But it's the idea of a sign. Circumcision was a sign. Circumcision is a cut and a removal of flesh. There's a cutting of flesh and the removal of flesh is gone. It was a sign of being God's people. And some still taught that even in this mysticism, because mysticism had rules and regulations as well, you needed to have the flesh cut and removed. Paul is saying, you were also circumcised, but without hands. You've already had a cut and removal of what? The body of the flesh, the flesh here being the sinful nature you had. That sinfulness of your life has been cut and removed by the circumcision that comes from Christ alone. So that, in verse 12, this is what we see. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You have been buried. You, you are not circumcised. It was a spiritual circumcision, but circumcision doesn't distinguish you. Baptism does. Sometimes when I baptize someone, I'll say, you've been buried with Christ in baptism and rise to walk in newness life. We buried. As Christ died and was raised back to life, our baptism symbolizes that through our faith, we have died to sin. God has raised us back to life spiritually. Just as he raised him from the dead, he raised Jesus from the dead physically, spiritually when we come to faith, he raises us up. That's what baptism symbolizes. We have a new life in Christ. And it's all through faith. No work. No act. See, all religions of the world and all philosophies ultimately require you to do something or to believe some set of doctrines. They require something of you that you have to produce. In Christ, we have faith. And here's the glory of that. He gives us the faith. We just take the faith he gives. And we trust him. Because of the resurrected Jesus. See, what you have here, these two beautiful pillars of the Christian faith, two of the four, you have incarnation and resurrection. That is what our salvation is based on, who Jesus is and what he did. There are four, I've told you this before, four great pillars of the Christian faith. Two, we share with our Jewish friends from the Old Testament, the revelation of God and the creation of God. And the two are unique to us as followers of Jesus, incarnation and revelation. Who Jesus is, he was incarnate and what he did, he was raised back to life. 
And because of who he is and what he did, you and I can come to God. And no other way to come to God, because no other way does that. Always understand, God has a plan. Even, even people who say all roads lead to God, basically admitting that God has some sort of plan. But Christianity in Christ narrows it down to this. God's plan for us is in the nature and work of Jesus, who he is and what he did. No one else, no other religion, no philosophy, no movement has anyone like Jesus, God in the flesh, who died for us, was raised back to life to make us complete and to save us. That's why it's so important that we recognize who Jesus is and what he did. And that's why it's tragic within the world of Christianity in that there are certain denominations and churches, some even within our community and within the Las Cruces and El Paso area, who are denying that Jesus is the only way to God. And who would deny the incarnation of Christ. Some, when they preach Christmas this year, will not truly preach and believe in the incarnate Christ, that he was God in the flesh. Some, when they preach Easter, do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Something else has happened. And in those churches, you will almost inevitably hear people say, well, there are other ways to get to God. Maybe they'll even say all roads will get you there one way or the other. But understand this, to say all roads lead to God is to insult God. As a follower of Jesus, it is to insult the God who sent Jesus to be our Savior. We see the warning. We see the reason. Thirdly, we see the result of his nature and work. You are alive and forgiven in Christ. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians at the same time, more or less, that he wrote Colossians in Ephesians 2.1. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin." And a few verses later, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should both. There is a gift. That gift is the grace and faith that saves you. Salvation is a gift that comes from God. Why do you need that gift? Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And verse 13 says this, When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all. Our transgressions. When you were dead, if you have the NIV and other modern English versions, some of them will say dead in your sins, but it's not the normal word for sin. It's the same word used in Ephesians 2 1 for trespasses, where the, moder- uh, where the word trespasses and sin, the regular word for sin, amartia, is used. The word transgression, trespass, means to sin against, to move against, to, to offend something or someone. And so it's oftentimes used of the specific sins against God as pagans who worship false deities. They were dead in their sins against God, in the transgressions. The word dead means you didn't have any life. You know what dead things do? They do nothing but rot. Dead people don't bring themselves back to life. He said you were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You, 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 were, you were uncircumcised pagans. And circumcision had nothing to do with what follows. You were still uncircumcised. He made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our transgressions, he made you alive. He brought the dead back to life. How? In Jesus. Because he forgave us. The word forgive, forgiven, is not the normal word we might see in, in, in Greek. It's, it's the word that has at its base the word for grace. It's to be graced. Your sins were graced away in forgiveness. There's nothing you did. Nothing you can do. This mysticism they're talking about ain't going to cut it. You've already been made alive together with him. Your transgressions forgiven completely. Verse 14 says, 
having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. Yesterday I went grocery shopping. You know, they list the receipt of all those things that I bought. Here's a whole long thing. That total was a whole lot more than I wanted to pay. But in that list was everything that was accounted against me. It was a certificate of debt. I owed that money. In our sins, we have built up for ourselves a certificate of debt of our transgressions against God. It's hostile to us. He took it all away. He nailed it to the cross, not simply through Jesus. But whenever someone died on a cross, and he nailed it through Jesus, I went. But they would always put the offense of the offender. Jesus, it was said he was the king of the Jews. They put whatever a person did, and as soon as they died, that, that offense was counted, paid for. His family didn't have to pay for that. That death settled all accounts. Jesus, when he died, settled all accounts for us. When he went to the cross and died for us, all of our sins were covered. So that in verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, how he triumphed over them through him. Basically, the rulers and authorities put Jesus to death. They thought they had won. Instead, he made a display of them. He triumphed over them. God had this great triumph through Jesus. All that the world has against Christ, all that they offer, has been defeated in Jesus. So when people say, hey, you know, all religions are just doing the same thing. No, they're not. All religions are trying to get to the same place. No, they're not. Christianity is unique and different. Because Christianity is focused on a person. A single person. Who came into this world, God in the flesh, died for us, came back to life. To give us eternal life. To bring us up from the dead. Understand this. Every religion in philosophy, in movement, ever thought up by humanity, they leave us dead to God. In fact, their purpose isn't even to make you alive. They don't even acknowledge the fact, basically, that we are dead in sins. They don't even have a view of sin. How can you be the same when you look at things differently? Christianity doesn't look at our problems being one that evil exists. We know evil exists because of us. It's not one of not being enlightened. It's not one of a lack of devotion. It's not one of a lack of trying. It's one of being dead because of sin and being made alive because of Christ. No other religion, philosophy, or movement claims to do or does what Jesus did. So how can they all lead to the same place, to God? Wait. We don't even view the world the same. We're not aiming for the same things. All the religions and philosophies and movements of the world are aiming for you to fix your problem. Christianity says you can't fix anything because you're dead. Someone has to fix it for you, and that's Jesus. They don't all lead to the same place. Because they're not trying to lead to the same place. Jesus is leading you to have your sins forgiven in a new life with God. Listen, all roads lead somewhere, but they don't all lead to God. Only one does. Jesus. Maybe the most important thing Jesus said that's recorded in the scriptures to the culture we live in today is found but a few hours before he died, 
in the book of John, in chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. But if you take the Greek, what he's saying is this, I and I alone am the way, I and I alone am the truth, and I and I alone am the life, and no one can by any means ever come to God but through me. There is no other means or way to come to God but through Jesus. So he is the authentic Jesus. We have looked at him over these last few weeks. He did what only God could do. That all the accounts of him give an accurate portrayal. That from the beginning, Christianity knew that he had risen from the dead because people saw him. And that there is only one acceptable view of Jesus. And that's the one presented in the gospel accounts. So here we come to try to understand whether or not, in the end, is he the only way to God? Don't all roads lead there? And I will say what I've said before. There is only one way to God. His way. His way is Jesus. So just let me ask you this question. Have you trusted the way? Have you in your life trusted Jesus to be your Savior? And if you have never trusted Christ to be your Savior, why not? What are you waiting for? How else are your sins going to be forgiven? How else are you, a spiritually dead person, going to come back alive if not through Christ? So why don't you give your life to Jesus? Why don't you give your life to him right now and trust him? In a moment of invitation, I'll be here. A few others will be here. And if you would like to give your life to Christ, if you would like to trust Jesus to be your Savior, you may do that. Ladies, if you'd rather talk to another woman, we'll have at least, I think, one up here. If you want to come and say, I need Christ today, then come and give your life to Christ. Many of you, I know, would have people in your life you want to pray for. And so if you want to come and pray for someone, we'll pray with you. Yes. If you want to come and join our church, we'll let you join. We'd love to have you. I don't, I don't know what you need to do. But here the series ends. Here you have seen the authentic Jesus. So why don't you trust him to do what only he can do? Save you. Father, thank you for Christ, who you sent into this world to die in our place, in our behalf. Jesus, the incarnate God, fully God, fully man, did what only he could do. Take our place. Take our sins. Father, you brought him back to life, and we can trust him to save us. So I ask now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you move among us, that those who have never trusted Christ to be Savior, today would trust him give their life to him. And today, Father, they would become alive in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? You come. We'll be here.